Okay, let's start then. Cool. It's your turn to introduce everything, Ian. Oh, is it? Okay, um, welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast, episode seven. With me, Ian Lobb. And me, Seb Lee Delar. And today we have two very special guests. Pete Helicar and Joel Gethin-Lewis. Hiya. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. It's hot today in Viner Street in London, where our studio is. And the cab office over the road has been quite sweary today. Really? Yes. Do they get swearier the hotter it is? Well, they, they, they kind of can't help They swearing. get more sweary closer to the end of the month when they've got less cash, I reckon. <laughs> you think we should, we should actually do a graph of it yeah you, you do computer visualizations don't you i'm sure you could knock something up <laughs> <laughs> cypress taxis here we come what bit of london are you guys in east in it actually just on the border of hackney and tower hamlets the road is uh one side of the road the road the side we're on is hackney and the other side of the road is tower hamlets so our side of the road is swept less than the other side of the road so our side <laughs> is yeah, we're on the filthy side of the street. You're on the threshold. Yes. yes. Well, that's where the cool kids hang out, I'm yeah, sure. Right, apparently. Yeah, that's always the way. Yeah, we accidentally ended up on a really trendy street. Uh, <laughs> accidentally. It's, got, it's full of loads of galleries and stuff like that. Um, and every Thursday they do a, an, a first Thursday event. But now all the galleries have learnt our faces, so they won't give us free beer anymore. Yeah. Oh. They know we're not buying art. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been buying art recently. Have you? Yeah, I've bought a few pieces. Yeah, but not... You know, a 40 grand no. blob. But I don't reckon most of these galleries are 40 grand blobs anyway. Mm. It's all chutzpah, you know what I mean? Are we allowed to swear on this podcast or do we have oh, to? No. Be... Oh, no, no, it's a, it's a clean podcast. Clean cast. Okay, cool. Yeah, it is. Okay. Don't say or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because yeah. I'll just cut them out later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not the explicit web podcast that, who, who take it upon themselves to swear as much as possible. <laughs> So, Ian, how have you been doing lately? What have you been up to? Um, I've been all good. Uh, I mean, to be honest, my mind is on other things other than work at the moment. Like, kind of, is my son going to get into the right school and things like that, which he did, fortunately. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it puts... Yeah, stuff that changes your life. It puts a bit of perspective more on your life when you've got stuff that's more important than uh, pixels and, and such. Our spin is done and dusted, though, and sold, so that's going to be live probably probably by the time this podcast launches which is good that's cool and and are you gonna write up the whole process and yeah, how much well, money you got and stuff yeah probably i'll have to ask the person that sponsored it whether they mind me saying how much they paid for it but, yeah because obviously that would be confidential information normally sure but if they're cool with it i'm all right with it probably and we are i should probably say we're recording this podcast a few days ahead of release date we normally don't do that but i'm just about to fly off to america on sunday so we're gonna stagger it a little bit we're pre we're getting a few in the bag so to speak yeah so this one is for this is for december uh, 2013 <laughs> yeah yeah that's right we re we've got a real <laughs> backlog <laughs> but pete and joel thank you so much for joining us today i'm really pleased you could make it that's fine. We're, we're only too happy uh, to be on the seventh episode of this uh, esteemed podcast. Yeah, that's quite a good number, isn't it? Spodcast. <laughs> yes. So um, perhaps you'd just like to, um, I mean, particularly, well, I'm interested in hearing what you've been up to lately. You know, what, what projects are you working on at the moment? 
Well, Helicaron Lewis is about to be three years old, which no is way. Quite, yes. quite amazing. Uh, Congratulations. Yes, uh, which is terrifying the way time seems to be moving along uh, as it does. Uh, we've uh, recently, the, I think the biggest change we've had in the last year is we've got represented now by this company, Nexus Interactive Arts, who are just down the road. So now we're represented for commercial work by them. Really? Yeah. Uh, so how does that work? Are they like your agent then? Well, it's kind of a bit more, it's a non-exclusive uh, arrangement, but really the way it works is they've taken us, us, taken us on as uh, directors. So what they, they've done historically is worked with film directors, animation directors. Um, and so that's why we went with them, because they understand, you know, you know, we're a small team, just the two of us, but if we need to crew up for a bigger job, they kind of do that anyway with their directors that they've had with just Nexus Productions, which has kind of done lots of films and animation in the past. Um, and yeah, they just really, we just work with them on ideas for projects, put in pitches. And if stuff comes off like the Coca-Cola job we did recently, then we just crew up with a load of people, get our production team together and they help us to, uh, really just fill in the spaces, you know, so things like 3d rendering and, and, um, helping us to work out and client relationship client and, stuff and things like that. Contracts. I think they make, it just makes clients a lot more confident because, you know, we've been pounding the streets pretty hard for the last, well, three years, telling people about what we think about the future and how we think we could do more interesting things with advertising and art and everything else. And, uh, it's been apparent how quickly the response has come since we've signed with Nexus that a lot of agencies or brands need that handholding or production uh, crew ready to be able to uh, to be able to do the large projects, and and we don't want to grow in that way. We want to be a partnership, a creative partnership. So we found this role of directors as quite a, a fitting one, and it's also something that the clients can get used to in terms of fee structure and stuff like that, because they're used to thinking of how a director works for a film or an advert. And what we're doing is much more building experiences in the real world and then documenting them, and then they turn into films or websites or virals or, or poster campaigns or whatever. But really having this idea of an interactive experience at the center everything and being represented by a larger organization makes you look more serious right and, and people are going to be much more comfortable letting you look after their budgets exactly, exactly. it's just it's just really just we, you know we realized uh, about a year and a half ago that we did need to have some good backup but it's just getting somebody who can understand the process because it is a very different process you know? and, and so what what you know what recent work have, have you done that you re you're really excited about what's your favorite recent project well the two things that we've been doing recently are kind of two sides of the helicar and lewis coin which is one was this project we did for coke so we did uh, coke's 24-hour music session with maroon 5 Woo. Uh, at the end of uh, March, uh, which was which was great. We did 24-hour music uh, session in uh, studios in West London. So the band Maroon 5 did a song in 24 hours, and we built uh, and art-directed and uh, constructed a interactive installation inside the studio that would take social response from Twitter and things like that and put that in the studio right next to the band in real time as they were making their music. And then sure. broadcast all of that out uh, live for 24 hours uh, out of the studio as well. So really trying to complete the loop in terms of allowing the fans to connect with the band in real time and use social networks to let that happen. But sure, so, so what exactly was this installation? Did you project some stuff in there or was it a big screen? And, and how did the band interact with it? What we built was a huge, what we looked like an ice, uh, a glacier, like a massive glacier that sort of seemed as if it was kind of 
bursting into the studio. It's basically just a <laughs> low poly cliff face thing. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just sat in the studio fairly yeah it looked it looked quite cool you know it was just kind of cnc cut but we used we used a um we basically used this we had a, a three-dimensional object that we designed and we nexus uh helped us visualize that object and do fly-throughs and then we we're actually able to use that same object within the piece of software that we wrote that was all written in open frameworks that would yeah. enable us to do projection mapping and all that kind of malarkey mm. But I think the and then we had that object projection mapped with uh, two very powerful projectors in the studio, and then used to connect to take the gestures of the band members to enable them to interact with the surface of this sculptural object. But I think the most important thing about it was was that that we were we maintained the whole way through that this was a musical performance, right? So it's about the band. It's about we had to make a space and an art directed space that would be comfortable for them to perform in because if they could yeah. make the song, then nothing else would work. Well, it's we also, I mean, we also ended up doing the uh, kind of the brand identity for this whole because they're going to do this this twenty four hour music session thing in the future, I think. So right. it was nice. We ended up kind of they had some they had some visual uh, identity things that they wanted to use, but they didn't know how to use them. So it was nice as we got the chance to do all this kind of interactive stuff. We also got to build this build the CCTV system that kind of worked in the studio. But then we also got the opportunity to do like broadcast graphics and print graphics. And do you know what I mean? So it was a really nice yeah. kind of uh, opportunity for both Joel and I to get involved in things that you know we're both we're both interested in but so. really to direct right yeah. really to be the people overseeing the the look and feel of the whole thing from beginning to end wherever it lived if it lived online or if it lived in print or it lived on mm. film or or in the space itself and try and, to make yeah. something complete there is that kind of role hard to do when you're kind of debugging code and things at the same time or I didn't really write much code for this project. Uh, I had a team of six programmers working for me all over the world, uh, all collaborating over GitHub. Right, okay. And what I did is I designed the system and specified the system and then acted in a much more kind of creative director or technical director role to direct the team of programmers. So Pete and I made a series of visualizations of how we'd like the interaction to function in quite exacting detail. We made that with the help of everyone at Nexus. And then Pete and I would have these weekly review sessions with the coders. And obviously it was an advantage for me to be able to uh, program so that yeah. they couldn't pull the wool over my eyes. Yeah, of course. Not that, not that I'm implying they were trying to do that, but that... Yeah, no, the, the, it, it helps if you taught their language. The communication, exactly. And how do you kind of find like six people who can all, you know, are all up to the job? That's a real culmination of our experience over the last, you know, decade of uh, us working in different areas. So Pete could draw upon his experience to get uh, a really great team of people together ready to build the installation and the sculptural object itself. And I was able to find a team of crack coders from around the world to mm -hmm. help from the Open Frameworks community to, to make it happen. And that was, I mean, it's more interesting, the most interesting things about the project for us were I think primarily to work on something of a larger scale with a major brand. But then the corollary of that was able to keep to our principles, which is our open source principles. So we managed to persuade Coca-Cola that they were they were going to open source the software that was created. So, so that's the first time that Coca-Cola have ever done that. And How did you persuade them to do it? That was the hardest piece of work, I think, that we had to do for the project, which was basically a fairly extended two-week period of negotiations between uh, us and 
uh, Wyvelyn Kennedy and and Coca Cola and their all their phalanx of lawyers. But uh, they, they they we got there in the end. I think that's the thing I'm that, that we're most proud of is that we stuck to our principles, right? That, that yeah. we've been going for three years now. We've always said we're going to open source everything we do. And I think a lot of people have looked at that and kind of gone, well, it's you know it's a PR maneuver on their behalf or something like that. Yeah. And uh, we, we really mean it. And we and we're very proud of the fact that 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 as a result of this project happening, we're going to be able to put world class, cutting edge projection map social interaction and uh, a load of other functionality out into the community and yeah. we can't wait to see what people are going to do with it yeah that's brilliant and it's a particularly amusing oh, to us that there's lots of companies out there that take advantage of this stuff by mm. keeping it secret and we're quite happy yeah. to level the playing field as it were when you say take advantage of things you mean use open source projects themselves without giving back or exactly yeah they take it they'll take it claim it but they won't actually complete the loop and, and put their code back in sure the system so that other people can like, play with it and build with it like rovio with box 2d on angry birds <laughs> yeah right where they used it and they didn't even made a hundred million dollars and didn't give it any of it to the guy that enabled their entire or, or finance or, or give a credit even so i mean it, i think that this is quite an interesting subject actually i think that um of course like the copyright and code is quite a weird thing anyway right because we're all programmers we've all programmed the same thing probably 20 different times for different clients every time getting a bit different and and so it's kind of a bit of a, a weird situation that someone owns this code that i made once and probably still using similar techniques now right it's just a bit ridiculous it's totally nonsensical the the, the the legal system is not built to deal with the technology that we're inventing every day and it's a farcical system at the moment uh, whereby people can get patents on insane things like software algorithms or uh, the concept of a one click on a website buying you something or something else I yeah. idiotic so we I think the the thing the thing that we like to do at hello car and Lewis and we like to do it between us is I think we've both encountered big companies in our previous careers and jobs and we think the most pragmatic way to deal with these large concerns isn't to sit on the sidelines and hurl insults. It's to engage with them and help them do things in a better way. Because And convince them really as well, isn't it? It's a question of like yeah. selling them around to the idea. And if you're just going to like set up, like uh, be confrontational, then they're never going to listen to you, are they? I don't think there's anything going to be more convincing than saying to somebody, you know, you go to, I don't know, I don't know whatever company, but you go to sit down with them and, they, and then they start questioning open source. Mm. And as a case study, you then pull out Coca-Cola and Wyden Kennedy. Yeah. You know, and say, look, we managed to make it work with these guys. And they were actually really excited. I mean, we're, we're, some of the code and some of the stuff that um, Joel and the guys developed with the Coca-Cola job, is we've been using with this, um, an autism project that we've been working with. And, you know, to have one thing, and we told those guys at Coke that that was what we were going to be doing with it, and they were stoked. You and know? they were so happy. Yeah, that was you great. You know, they're really into it. Yeah. They're stoked that that's proper. That's not like, you know, let's make the world smile. That's like actually yeah. do something with it. And to be working on one thing, which, you know, like for a Coca-Cola project, and then know in your mind that you can look at something and the way that something works and go, oh, I can see how we could use that in that one. And, you know, maybe it's not as high spec or high tech or, you know, visible, but you can mm -hmm. see that it'll actually have a real uh, effect in real time in, in, in that space, you know, when you're working with those sorts of kids. So it's, it's you, you know, you get involved with the companies, you make it plain to them what they're getting. Also, we use the idea, we, we quite often tell them that 
if you want this project in three months, there is no way that you're going to write it from the ground up. You need yeah. to kind of bolt these things together and work with these people who've already uh, created lots of this stuff that you need. And you know, it's and it was it was also great. It was also great to be able to engage with the community, the Open Frameworks community. And and you know, fair enough, there are quite a few people that there are a few people that I contacted that I spoke to who were just said, you know, I, I'm not interested yeah. in working with Coca Cola or working with Coca Cola. Which is which is fair enough if you don't if you don't want to do that. I like Coca Cola myself, so I. Thought <laughs> you have to say that now. They've probably brought <laughs> several truckloads of Coke, delivered it on your doorstep. You're all right for Coke for the next three years now, right? No, we they didn't give us any. I like vitamin water more anyway. I like tea. But anyway, the point. But the the point of what I'm trying to say is. I guess we should say that other cola <laughs> drinks are available. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like yeah. Virgin uh, Cola and. Oh man. No 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 no. But let me just finish. <laughs> let me finish what I was going to say. The important thing about this is, is there's quite a lot of stuff spoken about, oh, I, do, I would do a job for this company, I wouldn't do a job for this company. I think you have to be honest with yourself about it, right? That mm. I drink Coca-Cola. Uh, I know that there have been some questions about their practices around the world. Uh, I think any big company has those kind of uh, questions thrown at it, and especially one which has such a high value on its own brand as Coca-Cola. But every single person we met at Coke were genuinely, genuinely into making this an amazing project. And yeah. they only became more enthused when we told them about how else this software was going to be used. That was the other project that I was going to say about the one that Pete just mentioned is this project called Reacticles that we've been working on for two years now with a great lady, uh, Dr. Wendy K. Bright from uh, Cardiff University, about making interactive software for children on the autistic spectrum. So that's what we did. We went over, did the Coke project, had a week in New York where we went and pounded the streets and met a load of people like Etsy and Google and New York Times, and then came back and did a week's workshop at the Ashgrove School near Cardiff, which is a special school for kids from eight years old up to 19 who are on the autistic spectrum. And it was great, like Pete said, to be able to go to that place and effectively have the research and development budget of the Coca-Cola project behind us, but enabling us to do something that is genuinely a good thing for, for, for children that have some really big challenges in terms of communication. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. Yeah, and for someone great. who's on the autistic spectrum myself, I thought that was great. I felt good to do that. Right. So I'm, I'm interested, I just wanted to touch back on the open source side a little bit. So when you say that you release this project open source, do you just put the entire code base online or do you package it up into libraries? Do you add documentation? You know, what, what's that process? Is there anything that you don't make available? Is it? We're gonna we're, the, the, the only part of the project that isn't going to be open sourced is the actual Coca-Cola look and feel. Yeah. So, so the outer skin of the project isn't going to be open sourced because that's Coca-Cola's visual identity, which is obviously fairly copyrighted. <laughs> um, but all the underlying code is going to be completely released in terms of add-ons. So what we're going yeah. to do is we're packaging those up. And along the development process, we were quite deliberate about constructing towards add-ons or extending existing add-ons, for instance, the Connect add-on and stuff like that. So, yeah. so that's, the, that's the approach that we prefer to take with those ones. And documentation is obviously a very important part of that, but that tends to emerge from examples of, yeah. uh, of the add-ons being used. Uh, if you look at our other projects on helicaranlewis.com, you can see that we tend to, if we can, just totally open source everything. And we, including all the assets, all the graphics that Pete has made, all the typefaces and everything else. And we like to do that because we like to show students particularly 
how things really get done. Because quite often with projects, when they get released open source, people will go through with a fine tooth comb and pretty it up and tidy it up. And that yeah. used to intimidate me when I was a student, because I'd look at everyone's code and be like, that's not the way I write code. That's not the way I do anything. I must be really crap. But I only realized later that they actually tidied it all up for public consumption. So we blend between the two. So if you're working in a small agency, or say you own a small agency and you do lots of commercial projects for clients, how would you, um, you know, how, how would you convince them that making everything they do open source would be a good idea? I would say in, it, there's, there's a couple of reasons that we go through in our presentations quite regularly. Uh, one of them is that it's a great way of proving you can do what you say you can do. Okay, so there's a lot of digital snake oil salesmen out there that will sell you interactive Bluetooth solutions, <laughs> that will change your ROI and other crap. Yeah. But if you say yeah. if you can do what you say you can do, and you can prove that, it's a very powerful thing. Now, the second thing is that in terms of economics and development, it's actually more efficient to stand on each other's shoulders rather than to stand on each other's toes. And like you mentioned earlier on, you've probably done the same piece of code 20 times for 20 different clients, and they've all got it in their archive thinking they've got a unique thing, but they haven't actually. You know, yeah. It's a fallacy. Yeah. I think you can make the argument, especially in terms of small shops, that some, like the path of the guys, who, all the Ruby on Rails guys, is quite an effective uh, case study, right? That that those guys, Ruby on Rails, grew out of uh, a templating or or, or 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 private thing that they'd made in their own company, and now this entire industry is based around uh, Ruby on Rails. And obviously, they are the kings of consulting in Ruby on Rails as they made the entire system. Hmm. I think I think uh, there's a lot of paranoia that people have that somehow if they let the tricks out of the bag. Uh, that they'll lose their business. Yeah. But yeah. if you're in a business where that would be happening, you're probably not in a very secure or good business anyway. And you haven't got enough ideas. <laughs> so the thing... Can I offer some, you know, maybe play devil's advocate for a bit? Go, 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 go. And say, you know, does does open sourcing suit some kinds of projects better than others? Because if you take, for example, the Maroon 5 thing that you guys did, mm -hmm. obviously, if someone wanted to take that project, they could take the code, but they haven't got Maroon 5 in order to exactly recreate it, right? No. Whereas if you release, say, a game or something like that, or a physics engine that's very advanced that you've created, you're giving away a different kind of thing where someone would be able to recreate your project exactly and just add their own graphics or whatever and then and then sell it. But then does that not come down to you uh, spending too much time creating it and not enough time creating with it? That's the difference, isn't it? Because it seems like with, I mean, I, I don't write code myself, but it seems like a, the best thing about open source is that you get to see loads of examples of amazing things that people have done with these you know, physics engines or that kind of thing. Um, but if you just made it and then didn't explore it, I think that if you did, if you if you make it and explore it and then open source your explorations, then you're kind of making a claim to it anyway, really, if, you're, if your explorations are kind of worthy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, there's uh, people get, you have to really get down to what the thing is that actually makes your creative business work. And the thing that actually makes your creative business work is the relations that you have between you and your clients and the people that you work with and the people that you collaborate with. The magic stuff isn't something that can be replicated, really. Mm. And I think people doing Me Too projects that are going to happen all over the world anyway, there's a possibility of some lost income there. But I think there's more efficient ways of getting more income more effectively than replicating the same project again and again and again. And isn't that kind of a rip off of your clients if you're just 
keeping something secret and then doing it again and again. I mean, that's, that's sometimes that what feels like the Flash community or the online or the website community or the interaction design community, that feels like the dirty little secret out of all these communities, which is that the technology or the knowledge isn't actually that difficult, okay? None of the, <laughs> yeah. none of the software is that actually yeah. that hard to write. <laughs> what? Don't, don't tell them. Don't tell them. No, but, well, no, no. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> shh. You want to have a It's really hard. It's really hard. We're so clever. <laughs> right, exactly. Because there's far too many people in it for it actually to be that difficult because most people are stupid, right? So, you know, <laughs> you have to look at the kind of humanities or the anthropology of it. And the thing that makes the difference is the creative act, right? That's the thing. Yeah. A good example of that that we did recently is we went over to New York and we met with our new New York agents. And we sat down with them and we did an hour presentation to them and we chatted with them and we talk, spoke about our work. And at the end of it, they had big smiles on their faces and they were like, wow, no one's ever done that before. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, you know, we've represented people and we've never even met them. We've just signed off deals with them and all that kind of thing. That, the, the, the use of the, 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 the function of personal relationships that aren't just flash in the pan, like I'm going to do an AR app and make a billion quid off it, but something that's going to last for the rest of your life and make friends and loved ones and everything else is actually human relationships. And, and that doesn't change. So if you have a good attitude and you work in an honest way and in a straightforward way that's open with people and you enjoy collaborating with them and working like that, then I posit that you're going to have a much more successful career than the vast majority of rapacious people who try to just hold on or surf whatever this current wave is, whether it's augmented reality or, you know, pogo sticks or whatever it is. <laughs> because I just wanted to, to ask um, how you got started with Open Frameworks and what your background was before that. So my background was in mathematics and computer science. I went to Imperial to do my degree there. And uh, I about, about a year in, I started working at Days to Confuse magazine because I always love magazines. Uh, then stayed working there while I was meant to be doing my master's, uh, meant to be doing my degree. Then I found out about the Royal College of Art because my hero Ridley Scott went there. So I thought, oh, I've got to go to Royal College of Art if I want to be like Ridley Scott. So I went to Royal College of Art and then I had a year at Fabrica, Benetton's Creative Institute, where I was working making interactive installations for Benetton stores and the Benetton family. And then sure. I what, what technology were you using then? Director and C++. Oh, sure. Okay. Director was my, my background and C++ and uh, a bit of uh, Blitz Basic on the Amiga. Oh, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, well, you know, yeah, I mean, I've got, we both relate to that, I'm sure. Really funny scrapbooks from when I was eight years old. Every year for three years, I asked my parents if I could have an Amiga 500 and I never, <laughs> go, and I never got it. But I've got that on record. <laughs> uh, then I had three and a half years working at United Visual Artists. And then Pete and I had known each other for about 10 years. And it seemed that we both had quite shared approaches to life, but had come from quite different backgrounds. Well, didn't yeah. you, wasn't, wasn't the last project that you did at UVA... Uh, you using open, open frameworks, frameworks. Yeah. So that was that was the point where you started using open frameworks was it not that was the that was the the revelatory moment that i had i had the epiphany out in uh japan when we made this installation in in, in two weeks from start to finish mm, uh, yeah i think i saw that it was um, on the floor wasn't it yeah it's on the UV screens on the floor and yeah exactly and we, you know we did that in two weeks and we couldn't have yeah. done that with the internal software that we've been developing at uva for years and they're still developing now <laughs> And I was quite excited about the possibilities of that. And I said that to the guys at UVA and 
they wanted to pursue their licensing model, so uh, I left and formed a company with Pete. Yeah. yeah. But Pete's, Pete's background's quite interesting as well. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but I spent a lot of time skateboarding and still skate, actually. I got my Smith grinds on a vert wall back yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> Very much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so yeah, I've just been, I've been doing that for the last 20, 25 years, which sounds like a long time. But yeah, I... When I, when I started talking to Joel about some of the stuff that was going on and looking at his projects, I and mean, we've known each other for about 10 years now, but he started talking about open frameworks and it totally reminded me of the skate kind of scene in that it was very, you know, do it yourself. All right, nobody gives a sh but they're going to do it and they're going to make all this stuff. Do you know what I mean? No, it's kind of, it's not, it's not motivated by anything other than just wanting to do it. Sure. And sure. that's, and that, that's what I really liked about, and, and to be honest, you know, over the last three years I've met, quite a lot of uh, people, including yourselves, such a such a nice crew of people. Do you know what I mean? It's it really reminds me of um, of of the skate scene. You know, everybody's very supportive of everybody else internationally as well. It's not kind of mm. you know you've got your local scenes, but then you know when we went when we went over to New York a couple of weeks ago, we met some amazing people who are such you know proper heads, like really nice. So I mean, I, you know, I don't write I don't write code myself, but I have a real appreciation of the people that are making this kind of work do you know what i mean and i can really sort of feel a, an affinity with what they're doing and it's just it's just good and punk rock i like it you know it's and proper punk as well yeah do it yourself like, not 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 as in spiky haircuts as in do it yourself as in control your own destiny and yeah. and 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 being able to and being able to do that that's the real killer app of of, of software and interaction design is that that it's possible to you know actually make a living out of it and, and that's con yeah. constantly constantly amazing um and you know if you can find something that's the thing that you love and you can also get paid for it then there's nothing better than that or if you can find someone that you love and you can work with them then there's nothing better than that either i think that was the biggest thing w with us was to be able to form a partnership together and how effective that is just in any walk of life or or trying to you know do difficult things if you've got someone else with you it, it makes it a lot easier yeah, and for nego yeah, negotiations yeah, too something that i always ask on on whenever we have anyone on how how does you know how does that creative process work for you in terms of because obviously you guys know what's possible you see the connect comes out you see all the open frameworks community experimenting with stuff so you know straight away that the sort of tools that you have in your toolbox so i want to know how does that you know how does that work with your creative process do you come up with ideas first and then think about technology is it is it completely invisible do you not you know i'm i'm just interested to know what your process is for coming up with those ideas Part of the last three years, and especially the last year, has been Joel and I really, really looking at our process. Like, what is that? You know, because from the perspective of, say, art direction, um, you want to know that you can have art direction implemented in a way that is as aesthetically pleasing as if you kind of have the complete control of it over yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, you you kind of look at different uh, different coders are better at implementing art direction. But with regards to technology and stuff like that. Um, we found out that we do explore kind of avenues. Do you know what I mean? Like you do have yeah. a kind of an angle on your work, which we've which has become more apparent over the last sort of uh, six to eight months. But really, the technology uh, doesn't really dictate 
much we've we've got these kind of we've got this kind of idea of of how we'd like to make work we've got this sort of i mean we don't quite i don't quite understand what we are looking for in terms of the beauty or the poetry in the work but quite often the technology as it comes up things like the connect just make that part of you know the the, the vision area easier to do right. you know what i mean so yeah. i think that the technology sort of we listen to a lot of music yeah we listen to a lot of music and we read a lot of stuff and we make each other laugh and we have lots of conversations and we sketch and we pencil and we draw 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 and we pay attention to our dreams <clears throat> and uh we're experimenting all the time so Pete is is skateboarding and looking at weird materials and lovely things, and I'm looking at weird things online and doing little code experiments yeah. and doodling. And you know that's how why we do our radio show because that's just a transplantation of how we are in our studio anyway, talking rubbish to each other and playing music. We've got a lot of post-it notes on our wall, and there's a kind of methodology, like Pete says, that we've been getting closer and closer to. But it's 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 as far away from being dictated by the technology as it's probably possible to be, because sure. you realize the longer the and further along you get with things is there's it's very easy or tempting to try and stay on the bleeding edge. But the bleeding edge is often discarded so quickly as to still have a lot of cutting power left, but just unexplored. Like I've been the, the, a really good example of that is Divide by Zero, this dance project that we did um, that's up on our website. And the most effective interaction in that is this little bit that we do where I just draw a box on a whole stage from the top left hand corner of the projection down to the height of the highest part of the dancer. So it's right. the box with a bit of momentum on it. So it's basically one line with a bit of in, with a bit of momentum on it. So simplest bit of code ever. Like you could t yeah. you could do it in in an hour. Sure. But when we gave that tool to the dancer and said, wherever you move, the highest part of your body will make this line and make this white box that you can essentially bounce up and down off your body. Right. That it was making a tool for her rather than making a dictated thing. Something that we could still art direct. But it enabled her to do what she does best, which is be a dancer. So I think that's what we're really excited by, is by being able to collaborate with people from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different areas, like dancers or textile specialists or weaving specialists or break dancers or skateboarders or whatever, mm. and, and work out ways to make tools that enable them to do what they're great at, but to enhance that or to focus on a particular part of it or whatever. I think that's that's a really important point, isn't it? That you know, there are, it is all about. Sometimes the simplest ideas are the best. They're the hardest ones to get to, man. We, of course, they are. We have uh, we are always stripping back because there's a real tendency within. Uh, I I feel within programming to sort of. Uh, Joel explained it really well the other day, where he said, you know, you write a bit of code that doesn't look very good as an individual thing, but then if you multiply it by five thousand, then it be, you know complexity kind of hides the fact that within it there's actually nothing of any much, quality. Yeah, not that much of it. But if yeah. you strip it down to like Joel says to black and white on a single line, um, and then within the context of, of of choreography and dance and music have that line then represent so much more in terms of, you know, it, within Divide by Zero, it was kind of supposed to represent this kind of pressing of the world and, and your feelings on, on, on the dancer and, and, and within, the, within the context of the choreography. But if we, we're always stripping back, stripping back, stripping back, like with the Coca-Cola project, we stripped loads and loads and loads of stuff out of that because it's kind of, you get to this point where... It's a barrier. I don't know who it was. There's some artist said, you know, you keep stripping away until you can't, and you take that one thing away, it doesn't work. 
you know what yeah. I mean? So, and then you add that thing back and then you know you're at the perfect point. And I think that uh, if you're working well in any, in any area, not just, not just technology, but um, you're, you're, you are always trying to pare it down and be brave enough to pare it down. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of police cars there today. What's going on? Is it? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's hackney. It's hackney. Oh. <laughs> it's just like a normal day in London. It seems it? very scary in this big old <laughs> smelly London. It's fine. We're up on the first floor in our lovely flat. <laughs> we've got palm trees, and uh, I've got a big magnifying glass that I got today, uh, which is very satisfying indeed. I've been. Uh, I just got John Carpenter's The Thing on Blu-ray. So oh, classic. About watching that. And uh, everything is lovely. Don't worry. Yes, it's fine. Oh, that's good. <laughs> no one's getting murdered or anything. Uh, not not round here anyway. <laughs> not not without our say. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was I totally distracted myself then. Uh, I was going to say. Oh yeah. So what I was going to say was that that's quite interesting for um for any kind of creative program as it takes a sort of maturity and an experience before you get to that level where you're no longer trying to do the most complicated thing ever to show how brilliant a programmer you are. You're so... Yeah, because you're a crap programmer, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like get used to it. You're a crap programmer. Uh, that that it's, it's okay. That was one of the things that took me ages to get over, especially coming from maths and computer science background and an engineering background. Yeah. Where, but then the true, true rank of an engineer and is someone who doesn't make something for their own purposes but makes tools or devices that enables other people in the most efficient way possible and you know aesthetics can be efficient too you know there's a purpose to things and 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 I, and I find that I find that really uh, really interesting I guess that's another reason why people might be put off open sourcing their code, right? I often hear that people just, I guess it does take a certain confidence to just say, here's my stuff, check it out. I think also if you, I mean... It's very freeing. It is very freeing. Yeah. I always used to be really... It's like pulling uh, your pants down. Well, <laughs> I used to be really worried about ideas, you know, with, 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 uh, with you know, art direction, design, you come up with some idea and then... And, you know, you, you think, oh, this is my idea. This is my idea. But what I realized was that by thinking like that, I didn't actually make any room for new ideas because I was holding yeah. to the old ideas. Yeah. And yeah, you just have to let the ideas come and then release them into the world. Yeah, that comes back to that earlier point, though, that um, if you use the idea as you think you'd like to use it and then just put it out there, you've made your stamp. And I think actually by putting it out there and by saying anyone can have it, you actually make it more yours, if that makes any sure. sense. I'm not sure about this. There's a there's a guy. It's just an interesting anecdote. There's a guy called Squiddy, basically, and he um released. Have you ever heard of this guy? I don't know, but he released like a load of game design ideas, like about I think it was about 200 game design ideas for games that he, you know, couldn't make himself. Yeah. And people started making them. And then when people started making them and becoming successful with them, he got really bitter. <laughs> And angry about it because it was his but, his ideas and other people were getting... Yeah, but it's not hard to have ideas. Doing is hard. Yeah, that's, e yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So he shouldn't actually have given away his ideas. No, what he should have done is learnt to code. Well, I mean... If, if he, you're going to give them away, know what you're going to give away. Yeah, I mean, he, he sounds like he was probably quite bitter anyway. <laughs> Uh, Why would he give them away and then be annoyed when people took exactly. them and did stuff with because it? I don't, because I don't think he was prepared for what actually happens when someone else becomes successful well, with your idea. Naive, I think that's just naive on his part. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can only talk, I can only talk from myself and the process that I like to do. <laughs> oh, there's a party around 
Oh, there's a, yeah. There's, no, there's just, a, there's just some people have arrived at the office, so... Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, do, do you have to go? <laughs> no, we've got five more minutes. We've got five more minutes. OK, cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, yes, so oh, can I, sorry, can I just say something else? Another kind of devil's advocate point okay. about open source stuff is when you, when you open source things, it means that the only way you can make money is by selling your services. Whereas if you retain your, your intellectual properties, you can kind of productize your stuff. Yep, if that's how you, I mean, if that's how you want to, that's how you want to. If you want to sell boxes, and go so ahead. Software, then yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, you know, I think we're just our, our perspective is very much based on the way that uh, we want to work, which is we want to work on as broad a uh, landscape creatively as possible, and we are interested in working with uh, people who are excited about that same thing. You know, they they want to also you know play. We're interested yeah. in playing, and, we, and, and it, yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, you know, don't th we, 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 this is a long-term strategy for us. It's part the reason that we give things away is because we don't ever want to work on something we've worked on before. Yeah. So if you yeah. want to work on some, if you want something of ours that we've worked on before, steal it. You know, fine. <laughs> if you're an agency and you just want us to use an, a, an old project of ours, take it. That's fine. We d we d we're not interested in working with you anyway. If you want to do something new, give us a call. Yeah. And yeah. we want to have a reputation in the long term, over decades, as being the amazing guys that just do amazing things. We don't want to get a reputation as the projection mapping guys or the augmented reality guys or insert fad of software <laughs> interaction here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We want to have a reputation that, that goes beyond any of these things. And we are creative, engaged people who want to make new experiences and make them in the real world. And that's what we want to do. So part of the reason that we give the things away is to assert that fact and also to ensure that that's the only way that we can do business. Uh, we're not really that into making lots of money. We just want to be able to keep doing the things that we want to. Yeah, I think it's a really, really great attitude. We've, we've got just a few minutes left. So I just wanted to, before we go, just want to hear what you've got coming next. Uh, so we've got, we're going to continue the work with Reacticals, which is the autistic software. Yeah. So that's going to be released um, onto the uh, iPad and iPhone and Brilliant. some other platforms as well. Um, we're, we're, Semantics. Uh, we're also doing another one with Wendy about more about body silhouette, which is going to be called Semantics, which is going to be uh, interesting as well. That'll be going out on the iPad too and iPhone as well. Uh, then we are doing currently working on a dance collaboration as well with um, some friends of ours uh, uh, who are based at the Sadler's Wells Centre. So that's going to be happening uh, very soon. So another dance collaboration. And then there's a variety of other commercial projects floating around at Nexus. Nothing's been signed off yet, so I can't really talk about any of those things. But uh, it's going to be an exciting summer. We're I'm going to get a suntan. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get a suntan. I'd just be afraid that I'd no longer be able to do coding. <laughs> it's like Thor and his... Is it Thor and his hair? Uh, it, no, it's Samsung. Oh, Samsung. Samsung. Hair, right? It's Thor Samsung and his hair. hammer. Thor's hammer, Samson's hair. It's very confusing. Yeah, so but with me, it's just my pallor. Oh, I'm the whitest man in the world. But I recently <laughs> discovered Factor 30 spray-on. Oh, no, Factor 50 spray-on from Boots. Wow. It is the mutt's nuts. It's amazing. <laughs> you can go in there, spray it on yourself. You don't have to reapply millions of times. You're very fair like me, Seb. I know you. This is yeah. turning into beauty tips. But This is th it's ginger amazing. hour. <laughs> it's like Keith Beauty. It's very pale. It's beautiful. Oh, I'm glad you think so. 
All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, guys, for joining us. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, Great thanks a lot, guys. And you stood up well to my probing question. So well done. <laughs> That's what we do. We, we, like, we like a little probing every now and again. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Great. Well, have a great day. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Big kiss. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so, oh, they've gone. And we can carry on if you want, Ian. Wow, they've literally just hung it up. <laughs> Should we move on to our segment of the show? Yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great, though. It's interesting stuff, huh? They are obviously like a powder keg of ideas that literally just can't stop themselves coming out. Yeah. Some people are like that. They just, once you get them going, they're just like dynamos. I guess that's artists, isn't it? That's the difference between artists and, you know, and people that just work and do stuff. There is, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing is as well with things like people who speak at conferences and stuff are like known as the best in their fields sometimes, you know, misinterpreted as. Yeah. Right. Whereas really they're just the, mo the, be the most well known. And sometimes a lot of people are quiet and and aren't outgoing and things. And so you, you won't even know they're there, but they're quietly, you know, do amazing things. But I think that's really, I think most people though, that are successful are good at communicating it as well, right? Because mm. that's all part no, yeah. of being good. No, yeah, I mean, it's a huge part of success, but it's not, yeah. it's... But it's, it's also a part of being good and being able to work with clients. And I mean, communication is really critical, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of people out there who, you know, maybe aren't as well known don't get the recognition they deserve because they don't put themselves out there yeah yeah it's true i think most of the good ones even if they're quiet kind of bubble up though don't you think no i guess one of the nice things about the internet is you can put yourself out there virtually yeah via means like blogging or twitter where you don't actually have to communicate on a face-to-face -face situation yeah but even then you see that brings up another set of skills which is that you have to be a good writer and things like that these days you know yeah often or unless you just or, or a good video editor these days right you have to do yeah. especially with the sort of thing that things that joel and pete do it's yeah. as much about having a cool video of your yeah event. i was thinking about video editing the other day actually and i was thinking that it's funny that it's kind of still a job yeah like TV editor is still a job where it's, it's increasingly becoming the, something that everyone kind of needs to be literate in. Yeah. But I mean, and, and to be honest, it isn't that hard, is it? Let's face it. I mean, to cut together video mm, is not that difficult. I mean, I think if you're at all sensitive to pace and visuals, then I think it's fairly easy. I mean, it's just, it's just quite laborious. And, yeah. and the more you do it, the faster you get, right? Yeah. And it's it's kind of whenever I do videos it's kind of uh, the editorial decisions are often more difficult than the you know than the process of cutting these bits of clips together. It's like mm. what it's it's more kind of creative process. Mm. Anything else you want to talk about today? Um not really. No. Well, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about? Do you want what, we just had we just did an episode, though, didn't we? Is the thing. We've got nothing to say really. <laughs> <laughs> I've got lots to say about open source if you want to talk about that. Nah. <laughs> I think that's probably for when we have a bit more time. Um, okay. So I think we should probably wrap it up. All your, all your stuff in America is sold, isn't it? So you can't really plug anything, can you? Well, I'm, I've still got two seats on my San Francisco course, but by the time this comes out, I'll probably be running it. Mm. But if, um, if you want to come and do a course like in one day... <laughs> yeah, and there's not a huge point of plugging my stuff because it's all regional in the Devon and Cornwall area. And so if you don't live there... Yeah. Which you live there, you already know about it. Yeah. And if you don't, then uh, there's no point in me telling you. <laughs> 
you did you guys did dot brighton virtually didn't you for a while over the where you webcast it yeah we started broadcasting it was so much work though that you know it took i thought it was such a great thing though like if you think about how much that amplified the audience that you got well it did sometimes and it didn't sometimes i think that we had a few sort of technical hiccups and lots so lots of people would come and check it out find that it wasn't working very well and then probably never come back again so i think that we kind of maybe messed up a little bit right it would take one person sat at the meeting checking the feed doing the vision mixing making sure it was all right another person chatting to everyone online and then of course all the extra setup and there's just still a few little niggling problems yeah. with with like yeah and did you ever and... did you ever just record them and put them well that's what we do now we just Vimeo record them and put them on vimeo that's exactly what we do yeah yeah that's cool it's surprising how many kind of kind of conferences and user groups and stuff don't get recorded yeah like most of the ones that I've done, I don't have access to any recordings of them. Although I was at the London Web Standards, and that video is online now. That, cool. that was quite a fun night. Very, very good audience. Oh, I've not watched that. You'll have to post the link. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's on my blog. Um, but yeah, they were really, really good fun. Did they, were they receptive to, yeah. the, to hearing about animated spinning logos and things? <laughs> yeah, they were really receptive to it. They were into that. Like. It was really good fun. Um, so that was excellent. Okay, cool. I'd better go and pack. <laughs> yeah, good luck with your trip and everything. Thanks very much. And um, I guess the next time we do this, I'll be in America. Leaving <laughs> on a trip. Cool. Um, yeah, I won't. I'll still be here. Cool. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Cool. I like that a bit of addendum. That wraps it up nicely.